was Paul writing about to the churches in Corinth here when he says concerning food sacrifice to idols? I mean, this doesn't really speak to us in our culture today. What is he talking about? What was the setting at that time? What was the situation that Paul was writing about? Why was he addressing this subject? Well, Corinth was sort of the crossroads of the ancient world. It was where people going from the east to the west and the west to the east would always travel through. It was the crossroads of the ancient world, and just about every kind of religion that you can imagine had temples there. If you go and visit the ruins in Corinth today, you can see those, those ruins, the ruins of those temples. You can see how advanced the city was, how, how broad and, and, and widespread it was and all the various cultures that were present there, and all the various religions that had temples there. So it was a highly religious town, and, and the Christians in that community and the Jews in that community as well were in a, an extreme minority. They were in the extreme minority, and everything about the city was governed by and orbited around religious practices. If you were a city official, it would be normal for you to go to one of the temples at a certain time of the year to make a sacrifice, to, to join in a celebration. If you were a member of a trade union, you would go to, a very, to one of the temples that was the patron god or goddess of that trade union, and you would make a sacrifice there. If you were celebrating someone's anniversary, you'd go to a different temple. If you were celebrating a birthday, you'd go to a temple. If you were celebrating the end of employment, you'd go to a temple. If you were celebrating any milestone in the lives of your friends or your neighbors or the city, you would go to one of the temples, one of the temples to Zeus or Apollo, one of the many, many temples in the city, and you would make a sacrifice and you would participate in celebrations and banquets that were there. But that's not all. See, in the ancient world, of course, they didn't have refrigeration like we have today. So in the ancient world, you know, meats were cured, they were, they were salted, they were uh, smoked, they were, they were cooked, barbecued, and, and just as the Jews celebrated and, and, and worshipped by making sacrifices to Yahweh, they would take the meat and they would place it on, on, a, on a, a literally, literally a kind of holy grill and they would grill it and then the smoke would waft up to God in heaven. God liked barbecue just like us. would waft up to God in heaven. There's a wonderful passage in the Old Testament. I think we need to put it on our bumper stickers on the back of our cars. It says, all the fat belongs to the Lord. That means a whole lot of me belongs to God. And that's a good thing, by the way, but it's, it's a fabulous statement. It means that all the fat portions of any of the meat belongs to God. You're supposed to cut it off and place it in the fire to be completely consumed by the fire to make a sweet savor offering to God. Well, likewise, the people of the other religions in the city practiced sacrifice. They would take an animal and they would butcher it and they would fry up the meat or cook up the meat or grill up the meat. And the meat that wasn't eaten in the celebration, the meat that wasn't eaten by the priests or the priestesses, would be sold in the marketplace the next day to make money for the temple and for the priests and the priestesses. So if you needed meat, you didn't go to a butcher. If you, didn't have, if you were a city person like most of the people in Corinth were, you didn't really have much in the way of livestock or animals. So you would go to the market where there would be meat, cooked meat. Some of it was cooked by things other than temples, but much of it was cooked by the temples. 
And you would buy that meat. And that money would go to fund the lives of the priestesses and the, pri the priestesses. And, the priests. and you would take that meat home and eat it. That's the actual context in which this passage is being written. Yes, the, the question of whether or not you needed to go to a temple to engage in social activities was also present there, and it was an issue that Paul addresses here and elsewhere, but the big issue was eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, eating meat that had been sacrificed to Apollo, eating meat that had been sacrificed to Zeus, not in the context of the religious practice, but at home. That's the context in which Paul is writing this letter, this passage, these paragraphs to the Corinthians. There was this debate, this argument within the church. Those who had much knowledge, those who had much education about it, realized that, you know, Apollo isn't a god and Zeus isn't a god. They're not real deities. Therefore, what's been sacrificed there really hasn't been offered to those deities. You don't have to worry about that. It's not really been painted with this other god or goddess. We can eat it. No big deal. Paul quotes their statement, essentially, when he says, No idol in the world really exists. There is no God but one. And he agrees with that. That's very true. All of that is true. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It's not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. If they eat of it, if they eat of this meat that came from the market that had been sacrificed to Zeus or Apollo, if they eat this meat, these people are afraid that they're actually partaking of that other deity. And their conscience is harmed if they do it. It may be okay for you to do it. But Paul says... If you do it and those who have a conscience issue about this see you do it and they themselves do it as a result and they are themselves, they hurt themselves and their conscience by doing it, then you have caused them to stumble. This is the stumbling block principle. He's going to say elsewhere, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I can do all things, but I don't do all things. And this is one of those reasons. Because even though that meat may not truly be partaking of Apollo or Zeus, if someone sees you do it who believes that, and then they follow that practice, you're throwing a stumbling block in their path, and they're going to stumble over it. Because it may very well still be a sin for them to eat of that meat. It may not be for you, but it may very well be for them. And that's where it connects to us. Because you see, 
even though what Paul says, all things are lawful, he's also quoting a statement there that others are making, even though that's a true principle, in truth, if we do something that runs contrary to what we in our faith, in our belief, in our Christian action are called to do, if we do something that runs contrary to the message of the gospel, if we do something that runs contrary to the message of Christ, if we do something that violates the calling that we have from God, we are sinning nevertheless. We're throwing a stumbling block in front of others, and if we run contrary to what God's calling is for us, as Jonah did, we looked at that last week, as Jonah ran away from God, if we try to run away from God and God's calling for us, we are stumbling too. This week has been a week of stumbling blocks for me. We've seen recently our friends in the Muslim faith being confronted in our society here in the United States by a whole slew of vicious words and statements and actions by people who report to be, claim to be, profess to be Christians. We've seen it in the media. Some of us have seen it firsthand. This past week, a group of Muslims, they've been doing this, this was their 11th year to do this. These are United States, mostly United States citizens, mostly people who were born in the United States, meeting on the steps of the Capitol in Austin to celebrate the freedom that they have in this society to worship as they feel called to worship, to worship God as they feel called to worship God, and they are Muslims. And in the midst of this celebration, having sung the Star-Spangled Banner, having said the Pledge of Allegiance, having affirmed their identity as Americans, but Muslim Americans. Through the middle of the crowd comes someone who grabs the microphone off the podium and screams loudly, arrogantly, angrily that she's claiming this nation for the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw that on television and I wanted to crawl behind the couch. I was so ashamed and embarrassed. Didn't know who she was at the time. I said to myself, oh, oh what a splotch on the state of Texas. To see such bigotry and intolerance on national television. Then I found out later that this is a person who's been going around the country doing this in various settings. She's actually not from Texas. She's from Michigan. Sorry, Michiganites. She's from Michigan. Doesn't matter. She claims to be a Christian. And I would bet you good money. I don't bet on things, but I would bet you... That's one of my stumbling blocks. But I would bet you good, good money that not a single Muslim there that day would take a second look at Jesus Christ from the Christian perspective based upon her behavior. Thank you.
We are called to express the love of God, to express the forgiveness of God, to express the, 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 the welcome of God, the prevenient, the before-going grace of God. We are called to express the love of God for all by word and by deed. And while our words may be good, if our actions are deplorable, no one's going to pay attention to what we say. We must make our deeds match our creed. We must match what we do with what we say. If we're going to talk about the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, then we must live as a forgiven people and a loving people and a gracious people for and to all. Regardless of the religious, ethnic, socioeconomic, national, educational heritage, we must be living according to the creed that we proclaim. And that day, my brothers and sisters, someone who claims to be a Christian did not do that. And the thing that embarrassed me the most is that I can look at times in my own life, I can look at times in my own living, when my own words and my own deeds did not equate with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When my own actions fail to live up to the affirmations that I make. When my own words were not words of grace and peace, but words of judgment. Words of anger. Not righteous anger, human anger. We are all called to make our creed and our deed come together as one. We're called to live our faith, to live it so that others might see it. They're going to see it first. Before they hear a thing, they need to see it first. And our friends in the Muslim faith are facing right now words and deeds from supposed Christians that do not match up with what we say we believe and we say we're supposed to act. And that, my brothers and sisters, is a stumbling block for the church. A stumbling block for all those who claim to be Christians, for all those who partake of the table of the Lord, for all those who affirm the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a stumbling block. When we fail to express the love of God for all. I was standing in, this was back in Irving a couple of years ago. I was standing in the grocery store in line. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was still dressed in clerics. It was a cold day. The person in front of me, I had a few items in my basket, you know, enough to require the long line. And there was a person in front of me who had a whole lot of things, but he was getting very impatient with the checkout girl who happened to be a Muslim. We knew she was a Muslim because she was wearing the headdress, the, the cover. And he was getting angry at her, and he was getting nasty towards her. And he ended when after he'd paid, he told her, that she should go back to her own blankety-blank-blank country, except that that wasn't, she didn't, he didn't say blankety-blank-blank, he said what you put in those blanks. And I stood there horrified 
And he kind of looked at me and went like this, you know, wanting a high five. And I, I said, get out of here. Go before you do anything else that's going to make me want to do something that I shouldn't do because of this. I then went, moved into position, and she started checking me out. She was as red as you can imagine. And I smiled at her. And I said, "Assalamu alaikum, which is the peace of God be with you. She said, alaikum salam, back. She said more, I don't know Arabic, I couldn't say, and I don't even understand what she said totally, but it was the standard response you're supposed to give to a brother who has wished you the blessings of God. I was so embarrassed. And this week I was embarrassed as the stumbling blocks were thrown out. The stumbling blocks to proclaiming the gospel. The stumbling blocks to proclaiming the good news were thrown out all over the place. How can we expect anyone to want to hear what Jesus has to say, to want to hear what we proclaim about what Jesus has to say, to want to hear the good news from us if we are constantly going against our own creed with our actions and our words. As you come to the table of the Lord today, I want to encourage you to bring the stumbling blocks in your life, whatever they may be, I mean, the, the, in, the, in the New Testament church in Corinth, they had the question of eating meat offered to idols. There were other stumbling blocks there as well. But that was the one that Paul decided to use. I invite you to bring to the table of the Lord the stumbling blocks that are in your life, that are getting between you and proclaiming the love of Jesus for all, that are getting between you and your own religious walk, that are getting between you and God. I want you to bring them to the table of the Lord and leave them here and receive afresh that grace of God which can transform and remake you and wipe away those stumbling blocks and make your creed and your deeds come together again as one. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Most, Most merciful, merciful God, God we, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry 
and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you and forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water in the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave the cup to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, for the remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. 
by your Spirit to make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The body of Christ, broken and given for us. The blood of Christ poured out for each of us that we might have true life. listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.